Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, where diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Mate, it is an absolute pleasure to be here with you this week, Rev. We don't have Mitch with us. His computer's dying. What do you reckon about that one? Uh, only one Mitch at a time. The computers can tell. It's like the No Homers Club, the No yeah. Mitches Club right here. Uh, well, either way, we've got the better Mitch this week or the better Mitch last week. I don't know what we'll the fans decide that one. But more importantly, with us, we have an awesome guest. Tom Decent has joined us. How are you, Tom? Good, boys. How are we? Absolutely brilliant. All the better for you being on here, mate. Now, thank you so much for giving your time tonight. Um, what we're going to be covering is, well, we'll go through that in a little bit. But before we actually touch on that, Rev, can you just quickly run through our social platforms? Absolutely. So you can find us on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Uh, get in touch on Facebook, uh, the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast. You can find us by searching for that. And find us on Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Brilliant. Now, I introduced Tom there, making the assumption that everybody would know who he is, but I've just realized that perhaps not everybody recognizes the name of Tom Decent, and if so, they've been having their head under a bit of a rock. So, Tom, who are you? What do you do? Who am I? Um, I write about rugby predominantly for the Sydney Morning Herald, along with a couple of other reporters there. Been covering rugby full-time since about 2016. I've done most Wallabies tours you can think of, the Rugby World Cup. Uh, didn't see a Wallabies test in person this year because of COVID, which is very sad. Um, but yeah, I've been covering the game for about six seasons now and have a pretty good understanding of the players and figures and um, how it all how it all goes down at Rugby Australia headquarters. So um, yeah, a very interesting year, um, but plenty to dissect as well. I think the most important question that we could possibly come up with for you is this. Uh, which ground or stadium in Australia has the best catering? Oh, that's a massive, massive call. Suncorp, no. It's going to really annoy some Queensland people. Suncorp's been like, I reckon I've had that pizza and pie combo too many times. They do bring out the alcohol at Suncorp after the test, which is always good. Allianz Stadium was never great. I'm not really selling myself very well here, am I? Bankwest, <laughs> is, good. Bankwest is pretty good. Um, if you ask me more internationally, which has a better catering, that's where it gets interesting where you get like, genuine pizza and pasta in Italy, um, you know, Biltong in South Africa. Like that's actually where it gets a bit more interesting than just the party pies they give you in Australia generally. So we, um, we have a few died on um, pie and steak sandwich fans down in Canberra. So Steve Lengthel and Brett McKay absolutely love the um, steak sandwiches. I think it's out of Viking Park. They rate as the best in the country. So what, what do you say to that one, Tom? I've been to Viking Park, to be honest, but I have done GIA a number of times. Uh, I, I would say not as much food as probably Sydney provides. So you've got to be quick there. Maybe that's because Steve and Co are eating all the pies <laughs> and we're not spotting them while we're working. I don't know. Um, but uh, Perth's very good, actually, as well. Optus Stadium, we had a spread for that 2016 Blitters. I remember that being quite memorable. A few of us were quite hungover, so a good feed at halftime was definitely appreciated. But, uh, yeah, call me on the hop there. But, uh, yeah, look, it's certainly, it certainly probably doesn't compare to some other sports like cricket. That's absolutely the, the creme de la creme of, uh, of media food, I reckon. 
Well, I'm glad that we could kind of put you under the grill straight away in that pun-based sense as we could. Uh, basically, it's really, uh, we're a hard-hitting podcast um, right here. And so we're going to ask you some really challenging questions. Now, more importantly, one, some of us could argue, and you're kind of putting the, the positive spin on the role as a, of a journalist here, you just get to travel around the world, eat from every awesome location, Biltong in South Africa, pasture in Italy. What do you actually do when stuck in Australia during the COVID year on kind of like a nine to five basis? Or even is it a nine to five job? Uh, oh, look, the last three, four weeks hasn't been. Um, obviously, with the Wallabies being overseas, we would normally go on those tours I had flights and accommodation booked to go to Europe for that trip. And then we had a couple of days out before the series. We had the Wallabies ring up and say that uh, new COVID restrictions and them having to go into a title bubble match meant we couldn't go, which then obviously meant that we didn't want to run the risk. Um, so, uh, sorry, I just got a text message from my editor there. We are all good. <laughs> as you just sort of mean. It's 8 p.m. and I've got an editor messaging me about a story written today. So, okay, um, good. But, uh, now, look, I, I would imagine that. It, the day warms up, 9, 10 o'clock. Um, in a pre-COVID world, you'd go down to training, do interviews, hit the phones, spend the afternoon writing predominantly. Obviously, matches are generally in the afternoon, but it's a competitive business when someone has a story at 8, 9, 10 o'clock and you don't have it, you've got to chase it. Um, traditionally, in the mornings as well, some stuff could pop up in the papers as well. It's, um, it's a very fluid job, like, but um, COVID's made it very difficult. I think there's a lot of um, I mean, you want to go and meet players in the person. It's like anything. Like Phil Kearns talks about wanting to go see the whites of the eyes of people over in the Northern Hemisphere when they're trying to win a World Cup. It's the same when you're trying to meet people, do interviews. They're just generally not as good over Zoom, as easy as they can be. Um, sticking players in front of a laptop probably isn't the actual best way to get information out that we, we want from them. So uh, it's been a challenging year, but a busy gig. But there are downfalls as well. Like the, the touring life isn't all... Um, rainbow and sunshine as well. You know, you've got to deal with players who sometimes are unhappy with what you've written. Um, you have to call it as you see it sometimes as well, but, and obviously trying to give coverage as well that's balanced and even and, um, and fair as well. But some people do forget that I write for the Sydney Morning Herald and we are predominantly Sydney focused. So when we don't write about other super clubs, it's generally because it's more Sydney focused. Well, mate, that makes a lot of sense. And I imagine I can, I can already hear some of those voices that might be calling out. But either way, that's okay. Um, what we're going to be covering tonight, we're going to be hitting up some spicy, spicy news in a moment before we then get into the main course for the evening, which is the 2021 Wallabies Review. We'll then shift across to our listener questions in the locker room and then finish off with just a quick segment where we try and get some, well, we ask for some feedback and suggestions for what you as the fans want to see from us moving forward into 2022. So why don't we move on and jump into the spicy news. Let's go. All right. Well, I hope everyone has bought extra chilies because we've got the spiciest set of news to ever hit the pick and drive studio. Uh, coming in with a whole heap of different uh, types of topics and covering everything from sevens to the women's game to barbarians to test matches to Super Rugby Pacific. Uh, there is just a lot going on in the world of rugby. So what better time to do that than with Tom Decent, but also uh, with the freshly joined Mitch Foster, Welcome back, Mitch. Thank you. Thank just, you. Sorry. No, I was keeping Thanks. your seat warm for a few minutes. You are. Uh, yep. Um, look, what we want to jump straight into is the rugby sevens, because obviously um, finding any success in the game is awesome for Australian rugby, and uh, the women are doing just that. Uh, they race off to a massive uh, win in the final there, beating Fiji, 
And the men also improved upon their Olympic performance and finished in fifth. But we'll just get a few more details on that. Ando, you've seen those matches. How did those Wallaroos just jump to such high heights and demolish everyone in front of them? They were just absolutely incredible within this tournament. Um, Particularly go back and watch the defeat of Fiji. And there's a part of me that wonders to what extent it was Fiji being poor or the Wallaroos being, or the women's just being absolutely incredible. But either way, they were just playing with this pace and this accuracy that maybe it's the injection of the young talent as they're having a changing of the guard. Maybe it was just the kind of confidence that the new blood can bring. But new players like Lily Dick were just incredible incredible the i'm not exactly sure how many tries she scored but her pace and her strength out on the edge of the line were just incredible and she was knocking off defenders left right and center um it it was awesome to watch and charlotte kaslick i mean you hear about her as like the sevens superstar but she entirely deserves all the hype that she gets um her ability to just draw in defenders and just accelerate on an angle and get a two-on-one situation out of nothing is just incredible she is just a step above so many other people on the field it's awesome to watch did she get a hundredth try yeah is that what okay yeah. i saw the second one that was ridiculous yeah 100 hundredth try against columbia and she scored her first ever try against columbia as well i and this is a tangent, but I remember seeing her back in 2015 or 16 at Ballymore. Um, and we were there with our rugby club and some of the guys were like, oh, I reckon I could take it. Like she's the best <laughs> women's player. I reckon I could take it. And they actually saw her up close and like, holy shit, she'd run straight through me. Like she's <laughs> a powerful runner. Like just seeing her in full flight is awesome to see. Like what a, what a representative for Australian sport. Um, Mitch, you saw the games as well. How how good were the women, but also how improved were the men? Was that a step forward for them? Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a, a massive step forward from what we saw in Tokyo. And un, it was unfortunate in some ways that we ended up getting South Africa in, in the first quarter because they were just faultless in this tournament and they did not put a foot wrong in that in that game against us. And had we played against any of the other teams, I think we probably would have gotten a step further into the semis. But um, we can't fault them for this tournament. Definitely an improved performance, a step up. Some of the, like Ando was saying with the women's team, some of the young guys coming through into the sevens uh, program really added a new injection for the men's team. And um, a few familiar faces there, but a few new faces as well. Uh, And Billy Meeks back in in the gold (laughs) or the orange, whatever we want to call it. Um, Great, great to see his involvement again. And I was skeptical thing that he only had like a week of preparation coming into this tournament. But from the few games that I did watch, he actually had quite a big involvement for the Aussie seven side, similar to sort of Samu Karevi in Tokyo. So it was great to see that another 15s player is making that gap back into sevens and having an impact. Um, but overall, just great to see both the Aussie teams making it into the quarterfinals and, and, and forward. One thing I'll quickly say, I don't know why I said Colombia. Brazil is what I meant yeah. to say. I mean, I'm thinking obviously South American countries, but anyway, Brazil, not Colombia. Um, I also want to put on the record that that was Mitch Foster that compared Billy Meeks and Simon Karevi. No one else <laughs> did that. Um, now, I'll, I'll throw across, because while we're talking about the women's game, uh, the Melbourne Rebels are making history by being the first Super W team um, to offer payments to their players on uh, what I believe to be a permanent contract and this is all coming a few weeks after the fact that uh the state of origin women are now getting paid um you know a, a really nice top up from what they were getting and i think the same rate as the men or, or close to uh, tom is that 
sort of becoming a trend now? Should we be seeing this or expecting this a bit more, do you think, from these teams as they become professional? I think there's no doubt that they should deserve it. Absolutely. Um, I think it's, uh, I mean, the bigger issue is what Super W is going to look like next year and how much game time and exposure they can get. It's pretty obvious that um, how many Wallabies and tests have we seen and, the, the, you know, the Wallabies have fallen by the wayside for obvious reasons, but um, a main priority for RA next year has got to be getting them exposure, right? But secondly, is to your point, uh, once that news started filtering through on Friday that that was the case, there was a number of other women from other super franchises saying, oh, okay, we're getting paid. What are we going to get? Like, and, and that's not being greedy or anything like that, but it's just opened a can of worms yep. um, as to whether other franchises will match that amount of money. We're not exactly sure how much that is or how deep that those sort of um, you know, grants and funding is going to be, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that resonates with other super clubs as well and whether they come to the party and chip in as well, which they totally should, but obviously that money's got to come from somewhere as well. We know that super rugby franchises aren't awash with cash at the moment. Um, and unfortunately, women's rugby sometimes goes by the wayside in those situations, as we saw with, you know, a condensed super rugby tournament up in cost when they should have been doing absolutely everything, in my opinion, to be playing that concurrently with the men's tournament where they could. So um, watch this space. But I think there's a few women asked from other franchises asking at the moment, oh, okay, like, are we going to see a pot of that or is this just a Rebel-specific thing? If I was from the Waratahs who haven't lost a Super W match ever, like a ridiculous stat, and they know that these people from Melbourne are getting paid, you know, a lot more, that, that does obviously raise eyebrows. Um, transitioning across to what's probably been the biggest news over the last sort of weekend, uh, 90 minutes before kickoff, uh, the Barbarians versus Mel match got called off because of some COVID outbreak uh, in the Barbarian side. Uh, and obviously, just given the nature of the Barbarians team and what they stand for, that was always a, a bit of a risk, given how much they get out and travel and do things. Um, but th this has caused a lot of, uh, I guess, unrest for the team. And, you know, with the news of uh, Wallabies players and staff being involved in that, obviously adds to the intrigue in Australia. Um, Tom, what can you tell us about, you know, what sort of transpired in the last 48 hours over there? Yeah, so it's all it's all kicked off. It's very, very busy. There's a lot of moving parts at the moment. So um, to paint a picture, at the moment, uh, Georgiana Robinson, my colleague's putting a story out on Monday night around sort of the latest details here. We've got four Wallabies players and a staff member who are currently in isolation in the UK. First COVID cases they had was a group of two, staff member and a player. They had tests on the day of the Wales test on Saturday, a couple of Saturdays ago. The day after the Wales game on the Sunday, when they were basically travelling to London, they were told you've got COVID. Obviously, that's not ideal. Um, absolutely, they had to get off wherever they were. Currently isolating in Cornwall, in the southwest of um, England, which is not very close to where they would you know, want to be. So then there was, uh, I don't believe that player was playing in the Barbarians game. I'd have to be a little bit careful with the sensitivities around which of these guys have COVID. Some of them are apparently struggling a bit with it. So I'm sure that'll come out in coming days, but maybe not just at the moment. Yep. Then there was a player who uh, was supposed to be playing in the Barbarians game, but tested positive on the Monday of Barbar's week. Now, for all the listeners out there who want to be detectives, um, you can probably look through a few Barbarians photos, look at a team sheet, and there's 10 Aussies in the photo. I think there was 11 originally named. So it won't take long to work out probably who that is, who we suspect has COVID, right? Um, and then two more players on the following Friday or Saturday, I believe, very close to kickoff for the Barbarians have tested positive. So 
Rugby Australia and Rupert are trying to get these guys home where possible. We understand the first three, so the player, assistant, and extra player, they could be coming home pretty shortly because they've spent sort of the best part of over a week in quarantine. Whereas the other guys are looking at kind of December 6, December 7 onwards. But as we know, this whole Omicron issue, which is rearing its head, getting flights home from the UK is actually making life pretty difficult. Yep. Um, we understand that Scott Johnson, the director of rugby, stayed over there from a welfare perspective and he tried to get flights back and they were pretty pricey by the sounds of it. So um, a bit of a nightmare because obviously some of these players, oh, I'm just trying to think, I'm not sure if any of those guys would have to quarantine in Australia, but given the moving state of this new variant, maybe we might have to see more hotel quarantine for guys coming back in. That obviously impacts their holiday time. Does that go far enough into Super Rugby next year? I don't know, but uh, it was kept pretty quiet until the Barbarians sort of got called off 90 minutes before play, which is a bit of a bummer for everyone involved, but so many Australians. Uh, but what I will say is that it's not Dave Rennie. Dave Rennie's managed to get back to New Zealand to be with his family, so it isn't him. I'll be the first to start the um, conspiracy that I think Brad Thorne had something to do with this, just knowing that he had uh, Fraser McRite, Harry Wilson, Liam Wright back in the camp. He's like, well, all these Brumbies are over there. Let's uh, give them a few <laughs> less weeks of preseason, get a strain going over there. So, as long as it's not the four Waratahs players that were in, in the squad. It probably bloody is. Um, Tom, just a quick question. In terms, like, you don't need to go into specifics or anything, but do you know about the health of the players? Are they, because obviously COVID can impact people uh, to varying extents. Are you able to speak to the health of the players and whether they are more healthy and okay, despite the fact that they do have COVID? Uh, My understanding is that the players who they knew about earlier, there was two players and an assistant who sort of got it more than a week ago. I understand they were fully asymptomatic. Don't know about the most recent guys who got pulled just before the Barbarians game. Um, generally, they think they're doing pretty well, but um, they've been in bubbles for a long time, right? Like yeah. um, this is in terms of what you would not want, the absolute last thing. Mm. You have just played your last test. You are basically free to go home. Um, as one of the players was, he wasn't playing in the Barbarians game, we believe. So he was basically on his way to Heathrow, ready to get home, up the beach where he lives and um, has tested positive and got to spend another little bit of time over there as well. So, um, yeah, we have seen all pretty good RAs making every effort to make sure they're okay and safe and dealing with it. But it then brings this greater question of touring and, you know, how long a player is going to stand for this for? Is mm. um, is this risk of going overseas and getting COVID what they want? We've also seen the situation in um, South Africa as well with some rugby teams over there um, picking it up and maybe not being able to get back to the UK as well. So, uh, look, it's it's an absolute rabbit hole, but we understand they're okay, doing pretty well. And I'm sure in okay. coming days it'll come out who they are. Okay. And yeah. with the situation around that Barbarians game, only being called off 90 minutes before kickoff is disappointing for everyone. We're not really sure, as we you've said, no names have been named. Is there anyone outside of the Australian bubble that in the Barbarian squad that did get COVID or are we just looking at an Australian players at the moment? Uh, my understanding was that when they announced the Barbarians game was off, there was four players and two staff. So that's mm. for Barbarians specifically. Yep. So doing my maths, I think that was, I think three of them were Wallabies. There was another player. I don't know what country yep. and two support staff, but those two support staff weren't Australian. So that wasn't Rennie. Um, there was some concern. Maybe he was one of the staff members, but, He's got a flight back to New Zealand and he's okay. But like, as we saw with the whole Australia-England test week as well, with guys getting hooked, Joe Marler, yeah. um, 
I think Harold. this has got to be a change in uh, on Farrell. Obviously, a massive story as well there too. Um, how long is this going to go on for? And like, obviously, I understand COVID's. You know, we, we have to treat it seriously as well. But teams are sort of very on edge at the moment. That at a moment's notice, your plans for an entire week could be screwed massively because a bloke has tested positive yep. or a false positive, as we saw in Owen Farrell's case. I think wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Like, just speaking of how does Eddie Jones? Oh no, no, go ahead. No, I was just saying like. You know, all, the, all, all of the coaches in World Rugby want absolutely diligent preparation, nothing to go wrong. They want to know who's in their team on Monday, Tuesday and work towards that plan. You've got this other thing hanging over your head that could just those plans at any time. It really shows how flexible they have to be at the moment. But I think, like, if we're getting fair income, it's got to, like, how long does this go on for? And mm. I think players, I, I'd love to know the honest thoughts of players, particularly these guys who have got COVID now and have got to deal with it. Um, how they would feel about going on a tour again next year in a place where, let's be fair, Incom, I assume COVID's going to be more prevalent across the world now everyone's vaccinated and um, it's going to be a thing that people are going to have to learn to live with, how they're going to feel about that in the yeah. future. I don't know. It's a, it's a big issue for the game. Super Rugby next year, as we know, there's flow-on effects for that, which we'll get into as well. But that's yeah. that's a conversation we didn't think we'd be having four days ago. Mm. Just a segue from the idea of players and knowing how they feel. I wanted to look at uh, Anthony Watson, who obviously got in trouble for his Twitter rant, um, you know, criticising a match with the referees. And we've had our own dose of that with Dave Rennie, um, you know, having the the spray after the Wales match, uh, quite rightly too, I think, but then having to apologise afterwards and just sort of getting the, the sup on the wrist. Uh, we'll race through just because we've got a few news topics, but Ando, what were your thoughts about having to apologise for that? And, and your thoughts, I guess, on people comparing it to Rassi? Uh, to answer your first question, completely okay with it. It's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised and I wouldn't have minded if he did have a fine. I don't have an issue really with what he said and how he said it because uh, it was quite measured as well. But yeah, get a punishment. Cool. That's fine. If he'd been banned or anything like that for a certain period of time, then that's going too far. Um, and for people who are trying to compare what um, Dave Rennie did to Erasmus, you're an absolute clown. They are not <laughs> the same in any way, shape or form. One of them is, how was it described? A 60 minute character assassination of a referee. And the other one was um, disappointment and frustration immediately after the match for about in two short interviews about the performance of the referee in a TMO who, and he then said, and then we'll follow this through the regular official channels. So it's, it's very different. Um, yeah. And Mitch, I'll go to you for the next news topic with Valentini getting a two match ban. Um, this was interesting because it was a six week uh, suspension handed to him that got hard for his, um, you know, good, good track record. And then one week's taken off because he's going to do a uh, sort of head contact and coaching, coaching session. Yeah, just, just to try and get a, a feel for that. But one of the things I guess that stood out most, and I, I want to get your thoughts on it, was in the review that got published, I said, um, with a player that he hit, Adam uh, Beard, he uh, was removed from the field of play, failed his HIA and received 20 stitches in the area of his eyebrow. And that was something that was taken into consideration with this, um, I guess, process. Was your understanding of the whole idea of this that you know the outcome didn't matter? It was all about you know what actually occurred, the action. And and are you okay with his you know two week suspension? Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's what we've been talking about all year, isn't it? We go back to that Barrett situation earlier in the year, and we're talking about outcome or intent. They're taking into intent uh, of a player in this situation. Frustrating because no one goes out there to intend to hurt someone unless they're you know dropping fifty punches into a player's face, then it's pretty clear and obvious and they deserve a red card in 12 weeks, 20 weeks on the sideline, whatever it is. 
it's it's a bit of a shamble at the moment. World Rugby's hearing. Why are we handing out eight week bans for players, halving it for good record, and then giving another week off? And and I think in Valentini's case, he may not even miss a game. From what I've read, he's actually going to be ready for first yeah. round of Super Rugby Pacific next year. So yeah, he's got two trial matches. One of them is like an inter Brumbies trial match or something like that. And like, the yeah. other one is one of the um, Super Rugby warm up matches. So he'll be available for the first proper Super Rugby Pacific match. So it's, it's ineffectual. So why bother then sanctioning this player for an outcome like this if you're not going to actually follow up partially and and hand out a, a worthy or justified um, suspension. The, the other side of the question is, I would really love to actually hear what went on and what was discussed in the, the process of coming to this decision, because in all, like in our opinion, it's an accidental head clash. The contact was actually shoulder on shoulder. So they can't really be looking at the contact to the head because that, didn't technically happen it was an accidental head clash so had the roles been reversed like we were talking last week and we're looking at Taniela Tupo if he's come off concussed if he's got 20 stitches and and all these uh, medical things going on we're not even looking at it so it it really shouldn't be taken into account the outcome of the player on the other side um, into what ban you get it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me and that's something that I think um, they're going to try and and, and narrow in on um, one of the other things we're going to try and narrow down and try and get a, a guess and idea of what's going to happen in the future is this idea of eligibility for the wallabies and trying to understand you know the selection process for all of that um tom has, has there been many more discussions that you're aware of with um you know the, the people in charge and even with dave rennie talking about you know what the selection process is going to be uh we had a chat to andy marinos the other day at the world cup sort of hoo-ha um, look, he was pretty vague about it around when they're going to sit down and have a meeting. They, he, I did ask him though, I said, if you make a call in 2022, like, do you want that to be what happens in 2023? And he, he said, yes, right. So, so, so they want it to be a set number of people that Rennie can call upon for all of his duty who obviously don't have the 62, you know, whatever the rule they make it, right? But there's obviously a whispers and, and some people who think that for 2023, they're going to make a rule for 2022 and then a World Cup year out the door. And then it's just going to be an absolute free-for-all. And they're going to try and not let people in on that while, before that happens for obvious reasons because, you know, your mid-tier super rugby player who is uh, smoky at making the Wallaby squad for 2023, he'll bugger off after the 22 super season and go get his cash in Japan and the super product for 23 will be poor. So... It's about putting pressure and and sort of just coming to an agreement. Uh, so whatever you pick, you got to pick and stick with that. COVID, obviously, different. I understand that some of these debuts weren't even meant to happen. Obviously, Quaid was just purely by luck because he was training. Samu was just floating around as well. Post-Olympics, got a gig. Sean McMahon was a bit of a weird one. Guys in Europe, you got to see the good and the bad of them. So um, to answer your question, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, there's no news on it. I think if Rennie had his way, he'll be pushing for more players, the better. He has to toe the party line and say that he doesn't want a total um, out of guys going overseas. And, you know, as much as people would think that in an ideal world, he can do the South African model and pull from wherever, it's actually not ideal because you don't have control of their strength and conditioning programs. You don't have them within your system and you can't have camps. It's not, um, it, it's, it's not a totally foolproof system as well. But I don't know what my... Um, 
you know, situ- you know, like what I would do. I'd be interested to see what you guys think is the best scenario because it's a good debate that will sort of, you know, continue until early next season, I reckon. Maybe even mid-next year when they make a final call. That's probably one of the things we'll try and get into with our review is just see which players uh, actually benefited the Wallabies and, you know, how we can make a decision from there. But just on the topic of eligibility, World Rugby has changed all of its laws regarding uh, which players are eligible for which nations. Um Primarily, this has benefited the Pacific Island nations, and there's been a lot of outcry actually from the South Americans who um, don't really see this as a benefit for world rugby and really just for um, the, the Pacific nations. Uh, Ando, from your view, is this a step forward? Is this a positive step for world rugby? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I think people were throwing around potential backlines for Tonga or Samoa, yeah. and you just see the caliber of some of the players that are going to be within those teams, and it, it just looks incredible. It's so exciting. And what it also provides is opportunities for players who have made the decision to try and... Um, benefit their family or their friends and their community by going off and getting more income over in Europe, they still get the chance to represent the country of their heritage, even if it wasn't the nation that they started playing for on the international scene. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I mean, it's a three year stand down period. It's not like you, and you can only change once. So it's not like you're going to have people hopping between countries left, right, and center. There is still quite a significant, um, portion of time that this is applying for i have absolutely no problem with it whatsoever i think one of the things that's been most interesting from this is even though they've tried to clarify there is still a bit of gray area and one player that probably um, most utilizes that is uh palau fakatava the uh, highlanders reserve uh, scrum half so he was eligible for new zealand because he only moved there in uh, 2018 he was eligible uh, but since this has come through and it's now a five-year period he's become ineligible and they're wondering if, you know, if a player ever was eligible, should that hold or is that now going to have to, you know, he's got to save for another two years? Because I guess technically he's also, um, you know, eligible for Tonga and they're pretty keen to get his services. So still plenty of details to iron out, uh, no doubt about that. But Mitch, from this point, are there players that, you know, you're keen to see change allegiances? Is there someone in particular now that this has uh, come about, you really want to see, you know, jump ship? There's a few players that I'd love to see just, you know, old Wallabies, Waratahs players, the Kopi Gethi <laughs> comes to mind. How good yeah. is it to see Kepps running out there for the work for Tonga um, in the next World Cup? Realistically, that probably won't happen. I, I think he's pretty far or pretty close to retirement. Uh, I think this is this will this year and with Moana Pacific, it will probably be his swan song. Um, but yeah, it, it's fantastic just to see when you start going through some of those Pacific Island nations and the potential talent that they can have should those players then change allegiance and, and choose to play for them. It's fantastic. And it's only going to do good things for our sport if we're going to have big names playing for the Pacific Islands again. Um, players who at the moment are playing in Europe but aren't actually eligible for Test Rugby anymore, aren't getting picked by their First Nation. You're looking at some players who've only got a handful of caps for either New Zealand um, like uh, or Australia. So like Tung Kelly Nayaboro, for example, two or three caps for the Wallabies. Still technically eligible. It would be great to see him get another shot at the Wallabies gold jersey should he come home. But at the same time, I'd love to see him play for Fiji, um, his home nation. It would just be fantastic to see those players of that calibre again playing in a World Cup. And Tom, I have to imagine um, that Israel Folau are going to play for Tong. If they did eventuate, that's going to set you up for several years worth of just writing articles <laughs> and preparing for that sort of story. Um 
Izzy Folau took up a lot of my life for a while there. Um, yeah. And whenever his name pops up, I just sort of shudder a bit. Um, so like any, <laughs> any, uh, any easy content. Um, it's funny, I actually genuinely tried to call him the other day. I wouldn't believe it. I didn't have a number until this week for him somehow. And I got onto him and he answered. And then I, he found out who it was and hung up on me. So I probably didn't want to chat about his uh, allegiances. But oh, what a story that would be. Like Todd Ikefu is dead keen. We've quoted him before about it and he's fed income he's getting his ducks in order to try and make that happen he reckons Izzy could seriously play for them next year not exactly sure who they've got sorted like I don't even know they really know that at the moment but an unbelievable story nonetheless and I think it's just great that guys who are still playing are already targeting it as well like Artie Savia basically saying I play for Samoa for sure so guys are actually fed income good he might, I mean, Artie Severe might think, I'm going to play till the 2023 World Cup. I might earn the cash in Japan for three years and then come back and be an old guy and play for Samar and actually make it like, because only three years and, he, and you know, like it's, it is doable. Look at Izzy Falau. He's, it's a World he's Cup eligible. cycle. Yeah, exactly. Three years. It's like, even, even a guy like Adam Coleman, someone mentioned to me, could play. And he's obviously last test was 2019. So one more year and he could feasibly run out for Tonga if he really wanted to. Like, just all these names you wouldn't even think of who are based in Europe and have that heritage, which goes further than where you were born. Obviously, it's where your grandparents were born as well. So it goes deeper than just your own birthplace. And just, I guess, um, to back up from that, one of the things that's going to really showcase a lot of these players and probably um, some of the allegiances, as we get to see Super Rugby Pacific start up, a lot of these Tongan Samoan players that get their first crack for Moana Pacifica and a lot of the Fijians for the Indrua. Um, because of the New Zealand government and their hesitation to have people um, enter the country without mandatory lockdown, I think until April 30th was the date, uh, they're obviously looking at backup plans for the Super Rugby Pacific competition. And the two that seemed to be running out were either going through and doing uh, the Trans-Tasman aspect of it later in the season, so getting the Australian derbies and the New Zealand derbies out of the way at the start, or basing it all in Australia. Um, Tom, is there any... I guess, preference at the moment or any sort of indication it's leaning one way or um, it's still very much in the early stages of discussion? Um, Georgina, my colleague, sort of wrapped in a bit of this today in her piece. It, there's some suggestion that there may be exemptions given now. I, I don't know who has said uh, that or whether that's how who that's come through today, but they're, they're sort of slightly optimistic about that. But um, generally speaking, they're probably keen to do uh, similar to what we saw this year, you know, just try and back in those trans-Tasman games where possible. I think it's interesting that they didn't even foresee this maybe already. Like, if you're doing a draw, I understand that you don't want to play a Super Rugby AU and then a trans-Tasman. I understand it's got to be a bit mixed because of new teams as well. But they basically from the get-go have made those across the ditch and back and there's a lot of travel early. Yeah, there's still a lot to play out with that. Yeah, and then I guess also looking, as you were just saying, like no backup plan, but they named that super round in round two when we're looking at February 23rd or something is the date for that super round, all teams in one country. Pretty unrealistic in, in regards to the current climate. Why would we not be looking round 10, 11, 12 when we're a bit more certain as to what's happening in the world? Agree 100%. And that's how the super clubs feel and... Look, hopefully that all does get up off the ground, but um, there was probably a lot of administrators looking forward to a nice holiday in December, but this is throwing a bit of a curveball that they've got to navigate through. We might let that round out our uh, 
our chili con carne edition of the news. That was a whole lot of spice, a whole lot of length to that, and we've got so much more to discuss. So we'll we had one more co- point there for Brumbies fans that we shouldn't gloss uh, over. The nobody cares line. about Brumbies, Brumbies fans. fans. That's why we were skipping it. Where yeah, I mean, we're all Waratahs fans, you know, aren't we, Rev? So <laughs> but, uh, the, there are a few vocal Brumbies fans that do like to get on and, and make their point heard. So we will just throw it out there. Stephen Larkham has been announced he's coming back in 2023. Yep. I believe. Yeah. 2023 is head coach for the Brumbies. So I don't know what they're doing down there in Canberra. They're just throwing money in the water or whatever, but they just seem to nail anyone that they want at the moment. So he was, he was over at Munster and um, he got offered a contract extension on his current gig. And the response that I've seen within the press was that his family were just finding it hard being over there. Um, he's got some youngish kids. Uh, and I think that the desire to come home is more of a family influence. Um, so he's going back home to what he knows and loves. And I'm sure the Brumbies faithful will be very, very happy to have him back in their ranks. So yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, well, if it's, uh, I mean, if it's not that, it's to try and make sure Noel Lolasio uh, usurps Marcus Smith is the best young talent at 10. But uh, I'm keen either way. I, I think he's a good brain to have in Australian rugby. But on that note, let's have a look at Australian rugby. Let's have a look back at 2021 and perhaps how we stacked up compared to 2020 and the other teams. All right, let's do this. All right, we're now hitting up the main review of the Wallabies 2021 season where we won seven and we lost seven. And there were some really high points, particularly I think that mid-year France series and the double victories over the box were just absolutely incredible. But then to finish the season with three nil loss, uh, none for three on tour was pretty disheartening. So look, one of the ways when I'm feeling a bit down in life is I like to um, hear numbers and statistics thrown at me. And that just makes me feel really happy within my soul. So who better to throw this to than Rev? Talk to us about some of the key stats and key pieces of information that we should know about this Wallabies 2021 season. Well, I think for the people that are looking at seven wins, seven losses and thinking, gee, was that good? Was it a step forward? Because we also, you know, we lost three matches last year out of six games. Like, is it really a big step forward? Uh, I think the thing is to take away is, firstly, yes, our our games improved dramatically. Last year, we averaged 13.8 points a game. Uh, we only scored seven tries across the six uh, outings, so it wasn't a massive return. Uh, this year, we've bumped that up to 20, uh, 25.35 points per game uh, and 39 tries across the 14 games. So, you know, getting pretty close to that three tries a game, some really nice attacking rugby in there. Uh, and the big thing was, Last year, there wasn't a single match where we scored more than two tries in a fixture. Uh, this year, I think we did that on five occasions. So we, we are exploiting defenses a lot better. Uh, the points conceded, strangely, it actually went up slightly. It was 23.2 last year. It's up to 26.7 this year. Uh, the key factors there, uh, really, we look at the, the England game. That, that didn't help. Uh, the French series, even though we won that, they were all quite high scoring. But again, New Zealand, um, just on two occasions, completely pumped us. And that's always going to hurt. So, you know, we take out those two New Zealand games, it looks really good. Um, But of course, that does get included with the data. Uh, The other things of note, uh, this year we used 12 players in 10 or more of the 14 uh, fixtures. So these are our bolt-on, you know, playing when they're available players. We had Slipper, Alalatoa, Tupo and Bell. So our four props, that's a really good sign. Uh, Matt Phillip and Darcy Swain, which is interesting because they played none of the European games. Uh, and then we throw in Michael Hooper, Rob Valentini, Tate McDermott, Nick White, 
Lenny Cattell and Andrew Kellaway. From that, three of those guys made their debut this year. So that's a really strong sign that Rennie can see talent. He knows where he wants to take the team and he's got the cattle to do it. So I think some really promising signs there, especially when we factor in that Paisami, Hodge, Pete Samu, Isaac Rodder and Falau Fainga were on nine games for the year. So we've got a, a nice trajectory. Um, the thing that I think stood out the most is we used seven hookers this year. Um, crazy amount of hookers in 14 games. Um, the probably weirdest thing, Lockie Lonigan was the third most used hooker, and I don't remember him playing that much rugby. So it's a massive, you know, I think blight that we haven't really nailed down our best hooker or even our backup hooker. Uh, and the thing that I think, you know, as a ex-goal kicker uh, that stood out, our goal kicking was hot and cold. Uh, so we kicked 62 from 82 shots at goal this year. So for 75.6%, not as good as we probably thought based on some of the games. I think the thing that stood out was we had five games which had 100% kicking. Really rare, if not, you know, a complete new occurrence for Wallabies fans. We don't have that happen all that often in a season. Uh, but there were also three fixtures where we kicked below 50%. So just trying to get that sort of consistency right. And that was across all the kickers. You know, Quaid has some 100%. So he also had some pretty dismal displays. Same with Noah Lolasio. So for me... Plenty to like, plenty to dive into. But I think the big takeaways for anyone that is, you know, a little bit, you know, down on the team, uh, attack was awesome this year. Rennie's got a really good idea of which players he wants to use. He did use 50 this year, but a lot of them he was honed in on. And, I mean, we've got we've got some really nice options coming through. The young talent, the debutants from this year are in a great space. All right, Rev, thank you so much for that. And what that leads me to is just a bit of a thought process on who are the players that have really stood out across the course of the season. And I'm not kind of thinking just a couple of quality matches here and there, like Rory Arnold came in on a European tour and played quite well. But who are the players that are being consistent performers for the Wallabies who are not called Michael Hooper because you don't even need to talk about him? So, Mitch, give us give us two names. And then, Tom, I'm going to throw it to you. Mitch, give us two names of players that have really stood out across the course of the season for the Wallabies. I don't know. I don't think we can talk about players that stood out without talking about Andrew Kellaway. He's just mm. the the red ninja on the wing or at fullback is is the future of the Wallabies. He just looks so comfortable there. Uh, made his debut this year and just looks so good. Outside of that, uh, I'll go with Valentini. He's been a revelation in the back row. And I think as much as Rev will probably hate me saying this, I think he's got a, a fairly strong hold on that number eight jersey for the foreseeable future. And that's one of the great things. I'm genuinely keen to see that fight for the number eight jersey between Valentini and Harry Wilson. Part of it might get impacted. You wonder if Valentini will play eight for the Brumbies, considering he didn't play there for the majority of the season last year with Pete Simon lining up there so that'll be a bit of an interesting thing to see how much Mikel's involvement in the Wallabies will influence selection down at the Brumbies but Tom who are your two players oh not a cliche but I mean hard to go past Samu Karevi like that was just a ridiculous little period that he played there um getting over the game line just providing such a different threat outside a 10 that we haven't seen for a while uh I think uh, rugby show will be doing absolutely everything they can to be getting him back for that World Cup, even if it has to go against whatever rules they put in place. Otherwise, I mean, if you look across the entire season, Taniel is obviously just a freak. We obviously know how good he is, but I think James Slipper was pretty underrated there as well for periods. Like, yeah. can't be underestimated what work he does there as well. Being able to shift to the tight head side there and actually hold up the scrum on absolutely no notice with an absolute dodgy back, having already done half of it the previous game. He's um he's just like a fine wine. He just is getting better, doing his job, 
uh, really reliable figure there at the front there. That'd be a couple of guys. And then obviously Quaid, flashes of brilliance, some absolute shocking stuff as well too. Um, let's not forget some of that as well. Tom, a really uh, insightful and hard-hitting question here. Does Tony Tupo start or is he on the bench for you if you're sorting all of his team? Hmm. Uh, no. Look, I've got nothing against Alan, but why not? I just think that Taniella against really good teams like the All Blacks, as we've seen, when he hasn't been starting every time, you just run the risk of the game being gone um, and he can't make up as much ground. I know they like him to you know, play against tired defences, but uh, I just think he's like 10 minutes more per game than Australia needs. Yep. Yep. Okay. You know, I'll hear that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's good to get in other opinions because we argue about it probably every week. Um, yeah. So it's good to well, have what an What do you guys think? What do you guys uh, think? Both. It's a general I'm pretty sure we're both, aren't we, guys? Um, I'm Rev. pretty much... I, I think he, he comes off the bench because for me, yeah, that there is a legitimate um, case that in the Wallabies games this year that by the time he comes on, the game's usually gone. Um, but I just think he has much more of an impact when he comes on against tied bodies and yeah. he's much better able to wheel scrums and get us penalties in the last sort of 20, 30 minutes than when he comes on. The All Blacks had his number this year as well when he started that last test. So he wasn't as impactful there and he didn't do as much as he does when he comes off the bench. Rev, you were the other um, perspective, weren't you? You wanted him to start. I I chopped and changed. I wanted him off the bench at the start of the season. And I think the second Springboks game, I realised, because Tom Robertson was on the bench for that game. And so he played, you know, a good 70 or so minutes. And that flick pass that he did to set up that try was done in like the back end of the match. I'm like, well, he can still do it then even when he starts. Why not just get that impact from the get-go? Sure. Yep, fair enough. All right, let's move away from Taniela Tupo because whilst he's freaking hilarious on Instagram, <laughs> there are many other players that we can be checking out as well. So now looking at some of the highlights across the season, we just mentioned Taniela's kind of totally unnecessary flick pass. I will just say it wasn't needed. He could have just popped it <laughs> and it would have been totally fine, but it was great for the highlights reel. Um, what were some of the other highlights for you, Rev, throughout the course of the season that really just got you up out of your seat cheering? I think one player and, and someone I would have mentioned for, you know, one of my keys for the 2021, Len Nicotau, just seeing the role he could do at outside center. I, I think he was underutilized for the Brumbies having seen his kicking game at Wallabies level because Eraser Money has a really good kicking game. So they utilized him a bit more. And Tom Banks at the back was doing a lot of that. But Len Nicotau, the first time I saw his left foot clearance, I literally had to change pants. Like it was, that's it was worrying so, if that's literal. It, it was so impressive. It, sorry, that's that's one for JB and the egg chasers, but um, that yeah, that was just so impressive seeing that. But then you mix that in with he's got really great uh feet in contact, like he can just sort of get past defenders and create that opening for an offload. Uh, his defense is pretty rock solid. Um, I just think he is a phenomenal talent and it shows that in his debut year he played 13 of the 14 games i think like he's he's a real star so for me he's he's my highlight for the year um but also pete Sama. i mean it's not a secret that i've got a bit of a crush on him he's he's just a superstar <laughs> athlete and i think we really found because uh, it was only about halfway through the season that we started using him in that bench um back row spot and he just looked the goods um every time he came off the bench for me, um, one of my moments is Darcy Swain coming on at the tail end of, I think it was the, was it the final French game? The French and he, game. And he got the mall turnover, yep. um, the mall defense. That for me was just 
one of the great things because this was a Wallabies team that didn't have all of its best players. It had a lot of new players into the team and a setup under a kind of new coach in his second year who's trying to really build upon the stuff that he'd implemented in the first season. And then this young player comes on, bosses it and gets a crucial turnover. And that's the type of thing that gets you up out of your seat, just cheering and screaming and waking up the kids, which is fantastic. Didn't uh, he Tom- do it again in the in the South African game? Yeah. The did. second one, Ted? The second yep. test? Yeah, so he's just... Um, weapon in the mall which is absolutely fantastic tom what's your highlight give us one oh they're probably low lights given that journalists working on deadline don't like late twists and turns but <laughs> i was in hotel i was in hotel quarantine um when quake kicked that penalty and the building like was i genuinely thought it was a minor earthquake in the hotel <laughs> i was staying at, like it was insane everyone going bananas um I mean, you also forget as well how long ago it was. No, no, kicking a penalty to win the first test against France, kicked one very late as well in the third test as well. Obviously, yeah. France bottled that that game, which was probably the low light of the season for them, where they didn't kick the ball out. That was very funny. Mm. But um, I mean, they were highlights. They were great moments. There's so many others you could you could touch on, but they were just for pure like the Wallabies are back and people keen and clicking on stories and wanting to talk about it. Like they were the sort of obviously the the highlight ones for me i think there is nothing better than a french just being the most french team possible and just ruining their own series <laughs> in the final minute of the game like it's just wonderful um but then they turn around and just absolutely spank the all blacks at home so anyway uh mitch quickly what's your highlight uh my highlight was just having some of those og wallabies players back and actually performing really well and changing the trajectory of a season that up until that point was looking quite dire we were potentially looking at quite a horrendous end of 2021 with the way we were coming off those first two Bledisloe or those last two Bledisloe tests. And um, yeah, Quade Cooper, Samu Krevi coming back and really changing the, the momentum and showing a new spark and a new lease of life, unlocking some of the talent of the younger players, giving them a bit more freedom to do things. And then uh, Curly Bill coming back over in France as well, um, or over in Europe, sorry, and and just having a blind against Wales was was awesome to see. It was. There's part of me that just wants Beal to be in a Wallabies all the time because he just brings excitement or failure, and either way, it's high emotion. <laughs> um, so you never know what all. you're going to get. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get, and you know that he cares and he's trying. But anyway, um, <laughs> what I'd like to kind of shift to now is looking ahead. We already spoke a little bit briefly about how maybe the 50% win record isn't a true reflection of where this team is heading. So I don't think we need to discuss that much more, but instead shift things to our 2022 focus. Um, For me, what I would like the Wallabies to be focusing on is a little bit more solidity in key positions. So I'd really like there to be a bit of a pick and stick mentality with the hooker position. Um, There's, really hasn't been anybody within super rugby in 2021 who stood up but after bpa kind of didn't go on a european tour we've had flaufanga step up and he's he's been pretty solid he's been pretty serviceable within that role so i want to see him have a big season and just cement that hooker position for the wallabies uh and i think the other big question is at 15 so that i mean you can argue that six and is also a selection point and one of the locks as well but i think the biggest point really is going to be hooker and 15. so that's what i want to be seeing moving forward um let's go tom do you have any particular thing just from a pure fan perspective taking away your role what do you want to see the wallabies really step into this coming year oh it's a good question I just think we've, uh, I mean, the 
the point you touched on is just consistency, pick and stick. We saw how like diabolical that was in 2019 with some things that Checker did where we didn't know our 10 heading into the World Cup, 15 as well. Like Jordi Pattaya, let him run free and super, play him there. I don't care for have a like let's just see if he's good enough. But by the end of this year, we need to be knowing what that best 15 is as well. Um, in terms of other stuff as well, I mean, what do you do against England? Like this yeah. is a series they're really going to want to win, right? But it's at a good time in that cycle where you could probably pick and choose and, and try a few guys out. But is that really what you want to do against England? Like you almost would probably rather that series be like a, you know, a weaker opponent coming out for three tests. I know that's all sort of one of each as they sort of have done at various points with the European teams coming out. They'll obviously want to pick their best team, whether or not they can get guys from Europe or Japan. I don't know how that will play out. Um, there are so many different questions as well, but yeah, 15, definitely even 10, like, you know, we thought O'Connor was, you know, at the start of the year, the guy is mm. injured. Noah comes in, plays pretty well, um, has his confidence pretty much shattered apparently after the sort of all blacks games. And now Quay comes in, you generally have a three horse race now, you know, what, two years out for a world cup. And that's fine. Everyone can bang on about competition for spots, but um, one of those guys would like a bit of clarity probably. And like, oh, actually, if you, you said right now, put a bet on which who's going to be there in two years' time, not sure. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. And that reference that you make to the um, mid-year England tour is so prescient. It's going to be absolutely incredible to see. With the quality of that England team that comes out, the level of media shenanigans that Eddie Jones gets up to, have fun with that one, Tom. Um, <laughs> and also just the quality of that English team because they are an incredibly good rugby team and it's going to be a really challenging series for us. But Mitch, are you looking ahead particularly to that England series or is there something else that you're focusing upon? Yeah, similar to what Tom was saying, I think by the end of 2022, two we need to have our best 15 or our best 23 ideally selected and just give them game time leading into that world cup i do wonder if rugby australia will use that french uh, that english um series of in july as a tester to see whether or what effectively what ghetto law they go with whether they uh open it up and select everyone they possibly can from europe or whether they they go harder and go tighter and and give some real restrictions around either years of service to Rugby Australia or test caps, what we're currently doing, or just giving Rennie like a number, four or five players that you can choose from. Because at the moment, we're probably looking at six players that Rennie would ideally like to bring in from Europe. So I wonder if they go tight and see who they can get back for those tours against France, uh, the the tour against um, England, and then see how the Wallabies go. If we get whitewashed 3-0, then they might have to readjust and say, actually, we really do need players like Wade Cooper, Samu Karevi, uh, Will Skelton playing for us because at the moment the Australian base wellbees just aren't good enough to get there. Um, so I think by the end of that series, we'll have a pretty good indication whether they've made the right decision either way around the eligibility laws. Uh, and then we look at going into the rugby champs and the end of the spring tour 2022, hopefully getting some good results, but really having a good understanding of what our best 15 is, who our fullback is, who our number 10 is. Um, and who our hooker is, because at the moment we just we have three or four options in each of those positions, and we need to have the first choice nailed down. Rev, I know that you enjoy putting on other people's clothes and acting around a bit. So put yourself in Dave Rennie's shoes here. What are you doing to prepare the squad for the 2023 World Cup? I was very concerned about where that question was going. I didn't know if you'd seen me at Bucks parties or or what you were referring to. No, there, no, no. We've seen you left your camera on. You left your camera on earlier, mate. Um, 
Look, what I'm hoping uh, Dave Rennie does is, as you've already mentioned, there's some key positions he needs to nail down. But I, I refer to the Springboks team of 2019 that won the World Cup as a team that really built together um, over a time where they weren't particularly dominant in the first half of the cycle and they were really dominant in the back half. Uh, by the time they got to the World Cup, their squad had 17 of the 31 players with 30-plus test caps. And that's sort of that sweet spot of experience that a lot of people look at around that 30 um, or so test caps around 25 to 27 years of age is that sort of sweet spot to get to. Um, and, and just running the numbers, we currently have 15 players out of the 50 we use that have over 30 test caps. Whether we see Beal, Cooper, Co, Tamua back in the team, you know, remains to be seen. Whether Corin Betty and Karevi will be eligible based on, you know, what selection process we have. You know, they're important players. Uh, but the thing for me, there's 19 players uh, out of the 50 we've used and 19 good players that could feasibly reach 30 test caps by the time we get to the World Cup. I'd say probably 15 of them are ones worth investing into, but that, that's not always possible based on the positions. Rennie just needs to pick and stick. And Tom mentioned that at the start when we didn't have the um, fly half situation nailed down for 2019. There's players in there that we really need to sort of ascertain if they're making it at that level. Like, for example, Greg Holmes is on that list. I don't expect him to get another cap, but, you know, he's, he's very close. I don't hope how that we call on him. But players like I didn't expect Greg Holmes to play another year of Super Rugby, no. to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought he'd retired, but you know, <laughs> we've got players on that list: Brandon Pangramosa, Jordan Ulessi, Falau Fainga, and Tolu Latu. All have uh, under twenty-five test caps. I think Falau's got exactly twenty-five, and everyone's uh, got less. Last World Cup, our most capped hooker had fifteen test caps. We need to go in with more than that. So let's isolate which ones uh, that's going to be. And I think we've already mentioned some of the positions. For me, I only want to see three more debutants. Um, between now and the World Cup, which seems like a small amount and it's probably not realistic. But for me, um, Suliasi Vunavalu is one of them. Lock him in. As soon as he's healthy, I want to see him playing. Uh, one of them is either Dave Parecki or Alex Murphy because I think they're better than most of the other hookers that we've trialed, uh, but they need a full season starting this year. And, and one of them will be, um, you know, not shout out to the boys in the sky blue, but whoever the best uh, fly half is for the Waratahs, whether that ends up being Donaldson or Harrison. Maybe Carter Gordon comes in a conversation from the Rebels, but realistically, I don't want to see many more people brought into this squad. Uh, Rennie's brought in 77 players. He's used 54, I think, now. We don't need to add to that. Let's just find our best group and just drill them in as many tests as we can so that they're ready for uh, 2023. Well done, mate. In Dave Rennie, we trust so good impersonation of him. And actually, think you're pretty accurate there. We want to be picking and sticking and having an idea, particularly that Will Harrison is the person to lead us to 2023 World Cup glory. So uh, 2027. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I meant what I said. Um, so what we might do here, we're going to shift to getting some fan questions coming in. So we'll jump into the locker room in a moment. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much to Tom Deeson from the Sydney Morning Herald, who's had to run off. He was more than generous with our time. So again, thank you, mate. Good to have you on board. And everybody, make sure you listen and keep an eye out for his yarns as they come out, particularly over some of the info that is happening over in Europe at the moment with the COVID cases and the Barbarians team. Seems that he and Georgina Robinson are pretty on top of that. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops in the coming days. But we are now moving into where we get to get involved with you in the locker room. So Mitch, you're going to be running through the fan questions and comments. Why don't you take over from here? All right. So the first comment comes in from David Algie of Rayburn Shield fame. And he, he says, big congrats to the Aussie boys 
on a five-match run with the Rayburn Shield, you dominate the year overall and are worthy of pride. So he's also sent in a little bit of a graphic that shows that we've held it five games. South Africa have held it for four. Scotland have it for one game and England now have it for one game as well. So overall, we've won 2021. So we can at least say that we are the world champs in that regard. Except for the fact we don't have it anymore. But if England go through the Six Nations undefeated, we could get it back off them in the mid-year competition next year. That means we have to win the series, though. Yeah, or we have we to have win to the win. last match. Or we just the have series. to win the third test. Yeah. We just have yeah. to win the third test. Yeah. So pos- possible. Positive. Let's do it. Um, Damien Hawes says, and I think this is a comment, a bit left field, but going to say, and this is in regards to uh, what his highlight for 2021 was, but a bit of left field, but going to say selection of Yoda as the first choice six. We were all scratching our heads when he made the greatest squad, but he's really grown into the jersey. Rev, what were your thoughts around this? I know you were quite <laughs> against the selection of Leota early on. Yeah, I, I really didn't like it at first because um, it was taken away from a main man. But I I have grown to appreciate it. He's done a pretty good job for us there. I don't think he's a locked-in six for next year, but um, I can't complain at all with any of his performances. I thought he's done a pretty good job. Um, really good in the line-out, really nice runs, and... Yeah, pretty good haircut to boot. So, um, yeah, a nice tick of approval from me. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how his form goes for the Rebels this year. So mm. hopefully he can build on that performance that he set and get some more game time at six. Um, Elijah Glass says, highlight of the season was Tupu's, Tupo's no look pass. Picking Harry Wilson would be an improvement for sure for 2022. Um, I Lovely. think Ando, actually. Are you on the train of picking Harry Wilson for eight for 2022 or not? Um, no, not inherently. I think he's a contender for the position without a shadow of a doubt. But with Valentini's progress throughout 2021, like Wilson was the next big thing, but I think he got a little bit found out in 2021. He had a bit of the second season jitters where teams kind of knew the hard running lines that he would be doing and he wasn't able to adapt, which is why I think he saw a lot more feedback around his um, his foot movement into contact to try and get the softer shoulders rather than running straight into the contact. So I, if he can continue to progress, make good use of this preseason that he's getting, I think he is a great contender for eight, but uh, it's Valentini's to lose at this point. And it'll be interesting to see that... This is Valentini's second year for the Wallabies and it's Harry Wilson's half, first half, second. It'll be interesting to see if they can, going into 2022, if uh, Valentini's form drops at all because he's not that much older than Wilson either. So it'll be definitely a fight, tight contest for number eight. Um, Douglas Gardner sends in his highlights for 2021 were the series victories over South Africa and France. Against the Europeans in New Zealand, he felt that we were nearly there and just let down in execution, which is good, really, it, which is a good feeling compared to how I was feeling after the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman series. And that is very true. Uh, Trans-Tasman, after that, was abysmal. We were in a very dark spot as Australian rugby fans, and we were kind of thinking, where to from here? Uh, Rev, what were your thoughts on that comment? Um, I don't agree about the New Zealand thinking that we were just let down. I think we were still a decent way off them. but. Um, for the European sides, yeah, I think we were pretty close. I mean, really, that game um, against Wales was so close to a win. The game against Scotland, we were right in it. Even England, it really only blew out at the end. So, yeah, look, it, it is just an execution thing. I think we get our full team together. We have a full tour. I mean, for how many of those players was that the first time they've 
been um, in a Wallabies squad outside of Queensland. You know, that's a massive change for them. So uh, plenty of positives to take away from that. But I, I would respectfully disagree about um, being competitive with New Zealand. Don't be respectful. Just go hard. Okay. Um, no, screw you, Douglas. What... Screw you. <laughs> I think what he was saying is uh, he was feeling bad about being an Australian rugby fan after Trans-Tasman. Mm. And in that side, yeah, that was a real sort of depressing um, period, just losing, yeah. what, 23 or 25. But, you know, got a chance this uh, coming Super Rugby season to try and amend that. Or do we? We will, we will mm. see. Um, another question that he has sent in, Douglas, again, I think a couple of positions have real question marks over them, especially 10 and 15, but also 9 and 3 in terms of who gets used when. Uh, well, I guess that's actually a comment. Uh, the, the question he says, any thoughts on how the change rules around contact training will impact the team? And uh, uh, Yeah, well, the big question that I've heard raised a bunch of times is, well, who's going to police those rules? Um, and what are the consequences for not uh, following those rules? So I think that at the moment, they don't really exist in reality. They exist on a piece of paper, on a document from World Rugby, but there isn't the guidelines of how to be implementing that or how they'll be administered. So I don't think it will be particularly significant. Um, it will probably just mean that there's a greater emphasis on cardio and fitness rather than physicality and contact. Um, and that can only be better for the way that we generally try and play our game. On a political note, I actually don't think RA will take this lightly. I think everyone in world rugby will have to be seen to be following the rules because we've already seen in Europe there's some class action lawsuits going on against world rugby and particularly unions around head contact and, and late-onset injuries associated with that. Uh, players' lives very badly now being affected. Now that world rugby has done this and set this mandate, if there is future uh, legal action against them and they can't prove that they were following these rules that they weren't actually only doing however much the time frame is I think RA will get absolutely shredded through in the in the courts so I think RA really does have to abide by these rules moving forward for their own financial well-being and um, sustainability um, Brian Knight says for me the biggest thing is how will they shape the new rules for the use of overseas players as I think the lack of of use of home-based players taken onto it was a poor message to send to players. What were your thoughts around that, uh, Rev? Yeah, I think just as I mentioned before about how um, Philip and Swain got all this game time in Australia, like it's crazy to think that they amassed 10 or more appearances despite not getting a game on uh, the European leg of it. So to me, that is a bit of an issue and something that could be a bit of a challenge. Um, what I'd like them to do is really just settle on what that law is going to be so that players mm -hmm. have the chance to make a decision um, but when I look at the amount of overseas players we use, there's a whole heap that, you know, I'd be indifferent, um, you know, if I saw them again. You know, yep. obviously, Simon Karevi, I want him in the squad if he's available. Um, with BPA and Corin Betty going overseas, like, I'd love to be able to have them. Rory Arnold was great, but there's not that many of the players used that I'm, you know, desperately trying to get. Like, Colby Feinger and Ollie Hoskins, they did a great job filling in and helping out in the squad. Those stop gaps. Yeah, yeah, we, we don't need them in our best uh, you know, 23 in our best 31 in our best, you know, World Cup squad. So it, once I settle on that, I actually don't mind what the rule is, but we just need to know it sooner or later so that, um, you know, the players can plan around it. And I really do hope that RA gets on this quickly and we have uh, an outcome. 
I personally think we need an outcome before Super Rugby Pacific kicks off next year. I don't think that will happen. I think we're probably looking at the international window for 2022. But uh, I we need this decided as soon as possible because on a financial side as well, it's going to be quite dependent on players coming home for 2023 should they need to be based in Australia to be selected or not. So for the sustainability of the super rugby side, so they will need to know as well whether they should be chasing the big bucks overseas, chasing the big signings overseas and throwing big money at them to try and bring them home for the benefit of the Wallabies or do the rules not allow it and they can still be selected over there. So players over, currently based overseas will also be waiting for that. Uh, and we can't leave that decision too late because it's twofold going to affect both players. And anything you want to throw into that discussion? No, no, I'm okay. I Is think he? you guys have okay. covered it well. Yeah. Well, Rugby and Stuff has said his highlight of 2021 was the game versus France where Marika Korobetti was sent off after five minutes uh, and both box performances. So I think we can all rate those performances quite highly. And Hugh Tyndall has sent in his sort of highlights of 2021 and his improvements for 2022. So his highlight was the second game against the Springboks. Uh, he would like to see in improvement for 2022, more attacking rugby, more smarter rugby, and really deciding our, our first choice, number two, number six, and number 15. His player of the year was Michael Hooper. Um, yarn story, um, story. Oh, the story of the year a tie between Quade Cooper and Ollie Hoskins. He loved our episode with Sarah Nayakwima, which was awesome. Sarah Nagama, what a Nagama, legend! Sorry, sorry, <laughs> best non Wallabies Super Rugby AU games with Brums and Rebs, which was fantastic. That that was like this year really set that uh rivalry against both those sides, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how they dish up in 2022. Yep. Um, he also loved all the cliffhangers with James O'Connor winning the final. Uh, his concern is that we don't have an NRC replacement confirmed for 2022 or the future. Uh, and he hopes that we can retain Hamish McLennan and get Rugby World Cup 2027. Yeah, look, that that big call of Rugby World Cup 2027 is the is kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. It's our last, in, in many ways, I feel like it's our last big hope for rugby in Australia. Um, and maybe that's overstating uh, the impact that it can have or kind of death riding the current state of Australian rugby a little bit. But it's pretty concerning that nearly every improvement that we can think of for Australian rugby can't happen because of financial constraints. Mm -hmm. And what does a Rugby World Cup at home give you? Bucket loads of cash. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited to see what hopefully smart administration can do with this money. Um, and if you guys are okay, are you all right if we move on to the 2022 preview, just kind of naturally from this? Is that all right? Yeah, let's go into it. Yeah. Okay, sweet. Well, look, we're talking a little bit up, a little bit about moving ahead into the future. And this is going to be the last official episode for this year from Pick and Drive Rugby. We're going to be taking, um, really, it's just a few weeks off. And even then, we're probably still going to be recording, but just have them ready for releases in January as we do our Super Rugby Pacific preview. But... We wanted to get have an opportunity to talk about some of kind of our positive experiences and ask a few questions of you that hopefully you can be getting in touch with on our social medias to just give us some of your feedback because we really value it. So 
I mean, let's just quickly go quick fire to Rev and Mitch. What did you guys like from 2021 from what we were able to do? And Rev, you can bring in your um, rugby fixation experiences too, but just as a part of the podcast landscape in Australian rugby. Mitch, uh, let's go Rev, sorry, kick us off. Uh, From the pick and drive career, it's definitely the introduction of Sarah Nagama into my life i think her work on stand but also getting the chance to interview her and the positivity and enthusiasm she brought i thought hugh uh, tyndall nailed it she was awesome to chat to and i think a real highlight uh, the more interviews we get uh with players like her uh the better yeah mitch how about you yeah i just i love the pick and drive lives that we started doing halfway through the year and sort of into the international season i think it was so cool to have a, a medium where we could actually engage with the fans live uh, podcasting is great. It's fun, but re- realistically, it's just us sitting here giving our thoughts. So it was fantastic to be able to have the fans engaging back with us and giving their thoughts in real time and, and bouncing off each other. So that was great. And hopefully we can get that back for 2022. Yeah. And I really enjoyed, I think the pick and drive live is a big part of it as well. That was just so much fun. Um, I think when, when you look back on it, we basically, Mitch and I, before Rev jumped on board and um, helped us out. Uh, what is it? Midway through the year, mate? Is that about right? I don't even know. When did you? I think, when did you yeah, come I think it board? was leading into the international season post oh, the rugby transplantment. Yeah, I think the French series because I was brought in to yep. do some pronunciations of some French <laughs> <Yes>. names. <laughs> and then we kept you on after that. Hey, uh, uh, your checks in the mail, by the way. That's still yeah, it's still getting processed by our accounts department. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's just been able to do something that's been super fun and enjoyable, and just a hobby that's turning into a passion for nearly like eighteen months straight. Now, considering that we took, what, two weeks off over Christmas last yeah, year? I think, yeah. Two yeah. weeks off. And I even took my recording equipment away on holiday so we could keep doing <laughs> some interviews and stuff like that. And I'm planning on doing it again this time. Um, so that's kind of been what I've really enjoyed. So fans, team, get involved. What have you particularly enjoyed from Pick and Drive Live? Um, oh, sorry, Pick and Drive. Pick and Drive, yeah. um, In 2021. And then what would you like to see more of or what would you like to see us uh, do differently? Do you want us to be continuing with our emphasis on weekly match reviews um, throughout the Super Rugby Pacific season? Do you want a greater emphasis on uh, player and personality interviews? Would you like to see the emphasis be upon... Um, pick and drive live rather than the Sunday night podcast that you're listening to now or the Monday night podcast that you're listening to now what would you prefer we'd love to get your input um, and do you have any ideas for new segments or content because I mean we could steal ideas from other rugby pods like the egg chasers love a good quiz um, but their knowledge of English rugby is just encyclopedic it's incredible how much they can recall um, so that'd be a bit of fun do you guys have any things that you've had on your wish list for a while that you can throw out into the ether and see if any of it catches? One thing that I've just sort of been thinking about recently, um, especially with this where we've got three people, um, it'd be interesting to put it out to the listeners to have one game that we do a deep dive on each week of Super mm-hmm. Rugby Pacific. Because obviously with six games each week, there'd be a lot of content and, you know, we can't, you know, probably talk about every stat or every player from, um, you know, all six fixtures, but Maybe there's like a poll that goes out, you know, on the, the Saturday night or Sunday morning that just says, okay, which game um, deserves the deep dive? And, you know, just based mm. off the vote, we get a bit more, um, you know, engagement there. And, you know, people are buying into, you know, one fixture that stood out for some reason. So it did just one idea. You know, I mean, 
if, if that's a bad idea, um, Twitter can let me know. I'll <laughs> I'll handle it. I, I think people might get a bit sick of just listening to the Waratahs dissected week in, week out. But <laughs> that's going to happen time, anyway, we, mate. It'll be great that's that there's a run. Anyway. <laughs> there's a recorded run of their victory into 2022 when they take out Super Rugby Pacific under the, the man Darren Coleman. Man, the you, myth or legend. Yes. I thought you mentioned that because it'd be record losses to every team each week. You know, Look, 80 points from Crusaders. It can't get any worse <laughs> than 2021. Technically, it can. <laughs> Technically, records can still be broken for biggest yeah. losses and most consecutive losses. Well, we're gonna so, set um, we can set them against Moana Pacifica and Super and Indrawer oh as well. God. I'm there's this part of my heart that's preparing itself for failure for the Waratahs. Like I'm still getting my membership, I'm still going ahead with all that, but oh dear God. Uh I think I'll just I th- you know, I don't know. I think I'll be okay if we lose every game this season. I think I'll and be okay. You need to do what I did. You need to get a second team. Go the Reds. You need to get a second team so that at least you can bathe in their victories and it's not <laughs> as dark and as gloomy. That's uh, what really got me through 2021. That's <laughs> a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, anything you guys want to finish on? Well, add I, Yeah, we one up? thing I want to look into doing in 2022 and hopefully we can do that is just work a little bit closer with the super sides, particularly yeah. Australian super sides yep. and try and... Uh, get more involvement from players and coaches and, and get a little bit of back and forth. Mm. So we love being the voice of the people. Um, so we love to be able to sort of bridge that gap between the players and the fans and really create a space and a medium for players and fans to engage, uh, to share stories from both perspectives. And what I'd just shout out is that while we're talking about all the positives of this year, and part of the pick and drive live aspect is the rugby Royal rumbles. I feel like mm. um, getting to immerse ourselves. Cause obviously, you know, that, that was sort of a forming for me to come onto this pod as well, which I've appreciated and um, getting to talk to Matt and Harry and Nelson has been, you know, great fun as well to get, you know, a mix of opinions. Um, but also like during the lives and just seeing on Twitter, the engagement that pick and drive gets from, I mean, some of the names that spring to mind, Sheepy, he's on nearly all of them, Jason yep. Sherman, we've got just people that are coming out of the woodworks week in, week out, and always um, with informed perspective and uh, not always, you know, not always positive, but like honest and um, an optimistic approach, I think in nearly every case. So um, that makes it really fun and entertaining. Even if there's, you know, 10 people listening, it's, it's 10 great people. It's 10 people that are, you know, contributing hugely. So um, to me, that, that's a massive plus and uh, I think a sign of something cool that we're doing. Well, why don't we finish things there with that really heartwarming and uplifting moment about getting involved. So thank you for all your love and support. Um, if you've got to this point of the pod, little hot tip, there's going to be a Royal Rumble coming out pretty damn soon. So in the next week or two, there will be one happening. So keep an eye out. It'll be on a Thursday night and um, just hit up all the usual people on Twitter and that will be getting announced pretty soon. Mm. So thank you so much, everybody, for getting to this point. Have a wonderful night, day, week, whenever you are and see you soon. Bye. See you in 2022. Bye. Bye.